you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I have a very special guest on my show. Her name is Michelle Bastiani, but I know her as Senora Bastiani because she was my high school Spanish teacher. She is the Spanish teacher and international club advisor at Vernon Hills High School, and she also has a lot of work in secondary education, out-of-school youth students. So she works with a lot of migrant education programs to help students fill in gaps and support them with academic and health services. She is a consultant at a state and national level for the secondary education OSY, which I actually didn't know. And she's a University of Illinois alum. So we have a lot to talk about. Thank you so much for being on the show. It is an absolute pleasure to be here with you. And before we get started, I just want to say how what a wonderful opportunity this is for me to see you formally as my student and now to be sharing all that you've learned with others and to be on the opposite you know, end of things and have you ask the questions instead of vice versa to grow your Spanish skills. So I am just proud of you and I am excited to be here. So thank you. Thank you so much. I know I had you my, just to preface, I had her my sophomore year, 2015, I think. And I definitely was not at the same level of Spanish as I am today. So (laughs) every, every experience with language helps. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really excited to dive into that, but I want to start with your own journey. So let's start by talking about first, how you fell in love with the Spanish language. And then second, when you knew you wanted to be an educator. Well, I could talk about that the whole time. So you may have to (laughs) to cut me off, but I first fell in love with Spanish back when I was in um, around first grade. And it was actually because I heard Selena, not Selena Gomez, but Selena Quintanilla (laughs) or Selena Quintanilla Perez um, on the radio. And that was the first encounter I ever heard, you know, ever had with with Spanish. And I and I just loved I'm like, what is this beautiful music coming on the radio? When I grew up back in the 80s, it just wasn't common to hear Spanish on mainstream radio. And because of her and her crossover album, I discovered more Spanish because of, you know, the release of her English album. I also dove and learned more about her Spanish music, but it was actually because my, my neighbor who was a a bilingual teacher, she taught Spanish and English. And she told my mom, do you know your daughter can sing in Spanish? Like she, she has a Spanish accent and it was something that I didn't realize at the time was unique. And so she shared that with my mom. And luckily at the time we had an after school kind of, you know, extracurricular class that was, I think it was one day a week. And so we learned, you know, silly words like picnic basket and mushroom and bubbles and, you know, just kind of fun kid vocabulary, but a very distinct memory from my childhood, very fond memory is me, you know, at night when you're in your room, you're supposed to be going to sleep and that kind of thing. I I very much remember having my Spanish materials and I would hide under my bed because I had kind of a high rise bed that was raised and I would hide under it and I would listen to my Spanish cassette tapes because this is, this is back in the day of cassette tapes (sighs) and have my Spanish workbooks and I would listen and I just like that was my sneaky I'm staying up and I'm supposed to be in a sleep kind of activity just (laughs) give you a kind of a precursor that it was just fun for me I loved it I loved uh, I loved teaching myself I loved um music was really the way I connected. I didn't have a lot of friends or neighbors that spoke Spanish at the time. And so I, I, you know, I connected with music, you know, so I would take the CD covers or CD jackets and I would listen and I would read the words so I could connect how the words appeared and how they were pronounced. And my sister is five years older than I am. And so at the time she was I was taking that class in second grade. She was in junior high. And, you know, for us, traditionally, we start language much later than other countries. So she started it in junior high and had a textbook. And so I would, 
you know, ask her and say, okay, how do I pronounce this? And, you know, it was only her first year taking it, but at least she was having input from someone who could give feedback. And I, she lent me her English Spanish dictionary they got in class. And so that's really how my vocabulary grew is I would hear words and songs, look them up and go, okay. Mm -hmm. And then I remember hearing Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony song, No Me Ames. And I'm going, how, why is this ending opposite? And, you know, I, I, I figured out how negative commands worked because of their song. And so that's, I learned wow. language in a very probably non-traditional way, but I just loved it. It was a puzzle for me. And so I, I absolutely loved it. To answer your question about teaching, that was something that actually came about again in kind of an organic way. My neighbors moved in and they moved in from Poland. And so the, the dad had English to uh, communicate professionally and in his work, but the, the mom did not. And so that she was home with the children, the dad worked a lot. And when they would come home with homework from school, she couldn't really support them. She couldn't really help them. And so, and she had a new baby. So she had a lot on her plate with her two daughters and then a new baby. So they would, um, after school, we would, uh, I would go to their house or they would come to mine. I would usually go to their house because she would cook me Polish food to thank me for helping. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go there because, you know, I love, I love food, especially di from different places around the world. And uh, as you know, with International Club, and I would help them with their homework. And so then in the summer, we would, we kept doing that. We, they didn't have homework, but I would kind of create things to help them learn English and to just help them with some of the gaps just because that language barrier kind of pushed them a little bit behind. And once they caught up, they were, you know, they, they had the skills. It was really just the language barrier. And that's really where the passion for teaching and, and in a cultural way, you know, making connections mm -hmm. between languages, that's really where it came from. Because they were just just two, two, three years younger than me. So we could play together and hang out together. And then, you know, we we're on a very similar intellectual level. And it was just that cultural language exchange. And I just, I absolutely fell in love with it. So, um, but I also had an interest in business. So my, <laughs> my, my dad is, you know, he works in business. And I always had a passion for business. So when I was younger, I wasn't thinking I wanted to be a teacher. You know, my, my mom worked in education and my dad worked in business, but I always thought, oh, I love all of the interactions my dad has in business and just the flexibility of his schedule. And he was able to work from home and it was a really nice thing to have parents present. And I, and I really liked business, um, to be honest. Mm. And then, yeah, as I got older, I kind of realized I gravitated towards education. And so I thought if there's some kind of fusion of business and education, I'd love to pursue that. Um, but so, yeah, I, I, I but it ended up being that I, I have, a, my aunt is the VP of sales for a car company. I won't <laughs> name any names, but she is very high up in business. And I got to see her travel and all of her experiences. And I thought, what an incredible way to, you know, experience the world. Um, but at the end of the day, I thought, you know, while I love business, I, I want to inspire others to fall in love with language and culture the way I did, you know, and um, at, at a business level, that's not quite the same experience. So for me, I thought, mm -hmm. I, how do I how do I share this? Instead of do this every day for a living? How do I share my passion and reach more people? And so that's really where education kind of made the most sense and, and clicked for me. That makes a lot of sense. I actually ask that question a lot in terms of passion, because as you know, I have a lot of crossroads that happen to me. I'm in a lot of stuff. And so I'm kind of at that purpose, passion crossroads. So your story is very interesting. And the fact that you figured teaching and educating would reach more people and could expand your more hierarchy of passions, like the, the one that gives you the most value and joy. So that's really, really great story. Well, thank you. Yeah, I yeah. just, yeah. And, you know, of course, there were people along the way that helped to give me advice. And, you know, kind of like you with going to school, you kind of go, okay, how do I do what I really want to do? And I remember I had a moment, which would probably surprise a lot of people where I went, I don't know if I meant to be a teacher. And I was the second, second semester of my senior year of college. So that's not a great moment to have that moment of panic. But I, I realized I was a night owl and teaching just did not jive <laughs> with that schedule. And, uh, you know, getting up at five in the morning and uh, not everyone gets up that early, but I, I, I do because I like to be at school early and, you know, th those kinds of things. But um, 
Yeah, so that that was a little bit challenging. And sure enough, I, I went to U of I, they have a wonderful uh, career counseling center. And I went there and everything said you should be a teacher. And I went, well, okay, I guess that I'm doing the, the right thing. But I was fortunate that U of I at the time, I don't know if they still have it, but they had a global business certificate. And it was a brand new program. I was one of the first students to to be a part of it. And I was able to get certified in business in Latin America. And so that kind of I feel like felt filled that gap for me of, oh, but what about business? Like, I don't want to close that door. And, um, and, and so that was something that I felt, okay, I got to take my, you know, multinational marketing and international business classes. And when I studied abroad in Spain, I actually took um, a business class that was the master's level there in Spanish, mm-hmm. which was the most challenging and one of the coolest classes mm-hmm. I ever got to take. And, and that just, that filled that, that, you know, passion for me. And as a quick side note, I actually um, kind of started my own business this last year with having a little extra time being home more. And I actually did my my recent presentation in both Spanish and English because I had some in my audience that spoke Spanish. And I realized with the feedback and questions they were asking, they were really struggling. And I thought, well, why don't I just switch and I'll do Spanish too. And everyone was okay with that. So I, you know, I went, here I am, I am using language and Spanish and business. And it was a teaching, you know, I was teaching while doing it. And I thought this is, this is working on all my levels. (laughs) So it's all kind of coming together. (laughs) I love that. That's an incredible story. I'd love to dive more into your business, but I want to talk a little bit more about your study abroad experience because you had the opportunity to travel all over the place. Do you mind diving into that? Uh, No, not at all. I don't, I don't know where to begin. (laughs) Is there anywhere specific that you want? I mean, I've been to lots of different countries and different places over the span of over 20 years. So (laughs) where to start? (laughs) Um, Let's start with talking about how your study abroad experience in college shaped both your language experience and just your college experience as a holistic perspective. Sure, sure. So I mean, well, I, maybe I should have, now that you're asking that question, I think actually it really started before then. So now I think <laughs> I'm yeah. going to go with the organic theme. <laughs> For me, it really, um, what really changed the course of my life was when I was actually in high school and we had the opportunity to go to Costa Rica. We, we had a new Spanish teacher and she had such a passion for travel and for language and was married to, I can't remember where her husband was from, but married to someone who natively spoke Spanish. And she wanted to take students to another country. And I went, I, I want to do that. That would be incredible. And I was very excited for the opportunity. And I was going to go as a sophomore, you know, and my mom had a little bit of reservation just because students at our school had never done that before. And then unfortunately, that year, that is when 9-11 happened. And so the, the trip got um, canceled for that year, but they rescheduled it my senior year. So I had to wait two more years, which, um, you know, was, was difficult, but I was grateful that it got rescheduled at all with everything going on. And then uh, they weren't sure they were going to let me go because, you know, as once you graduate, you're not under school's policy to travel, which is why I always take mm-hmm. students on spring break so that my seniors can go too. Cause that's something that because of my experience, I want, I want as many students to go. Yeah. You just never know. So life happens, but yeah. So I um, got to go my senior year. They let me go because they were like, she is the number one candidate. She wants to go. She's <laughs> wanted to go for two years. And they and they bent the rules for me. And I'm so grateful for that. So I got to go. And on the trip, all the other students. So everyone was younger than me, right? Because I was the senior that was allowed to go. So no one else <laughs> my age was there. And they called me Abuelita because I was like the, the grandma, you know, watching over all of them and making sure that they made it home and that they were making good life choices. And so I kind of felt like the the chaperone for after hours, because uh, in Costa Rica, you know, it, you know, that that experience of people's doors are open and things aren't always locked or necessarily like secure, like we would have them in the United States. Things are much more inviting. You know, people are very hospitable and it's always the more the merrier. And so Americans, especially teenagers in that culture, that is very new for them. And sometimes they get too comfortable, you know, and so I <laughs> felt I needed to watch over them. And my my Spanish was much more advanced at the time. And so sometimes they get stuck and they didn't know how to communicate their way through a situation. And so I felt like I always had to stay until the last person went home or I would walk them home to make sure that they got where they needed to and they could explain, you know, or 
whatever the situation was. So that's really, I think that shifted just kind of everything for me being able to have that perspective, but it was more on like this motherly kind of more authoritative role that I was on it while I participated. I also felt responsible to help them since their language skills were not at the, you know, quite the same level. I was fortunate to work in a restaurant that had just opened. I worked at one of like the first Culver's that was in Illinois. It was a big deal. And, um, and while I was there, my Spanish grew tremendously because I, you know, I wasn't afraid to talk to a native speaker and to say, help me with my Spanish. And they'd say, okay, help me with my English. I'm like, great, done. And just being open (laughs) to those interactions really, really uh, forced me to be more comfortable and to, you know, not have that fear that most of us have while we're learning a language. Mm -hmm. And um, so that, yeah, so that experience was the first kind of you know, perspective shift, and just seeing the poverty that was present um, there, and the the happiness with just simple things. I'll never forget, we were driving on this big old school bus to go to our, you know, our town, we stayed in La Fortuna, and I still have friends there that um, one day I'll go back and visit. It's my favorite place on the planet. And uh, we were driving on this big old school bus on these dirt roads and seeing these little kids playing right in the road, right next to the school bus with a deflated soccer ball with no shoes on. And they were just the happiest, happiest I had, you know, I could have ever, I've ever seen children, you know, and I'm thinking they're not wearing shoes. They don't have like a normal inflated, you know, soccer ball, which I took for granted playing soccer for years of my life and, Mm -hmm. and how happy they were and seeing that all over everywhere I went, there were, I was fortunate to stay with a family that had three businesses and, and very successful businesses in the town. So they were very, you know, affluent family. I had my own little house behind their house to stay in. And most (sighs) of my, I mean, it was smaller, you know, but it was still like my own living quarters, which was unheard of, you know, in in the town. And, um, and the other families, my students were staying with, sometimes they were staying in places that didn't have a floor, you know, and so it was, Uh, like much smaller living quarters and they would all stay in one room and then the student the guest would stay in the other room you know like the parents room versus the kid and they would give up their room for their guest and but that's just Mm -hmm. the culture and the beauty of it so I think that for me was what really shaped everything and I went I want to travel more I want to see more of the world because that that you know that changed everything I want I want I want my students I want people to to know about these stories and if I don't share them you know how 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 are people going to know if they don't have that passion or maybe they're scared to explore the world themselves, you know? So I feel like the, I can kind of be a bridge, you know, for my own students as well. Oh. But, but yeah, I mean, I can go back to, so my, my <laughs> study abroad in Spain, um, that was a very different experience. Culture of Spain is very unique from Latin America. And I'm so glad I've experienced both because they were they're almost polar opposite experiences, um, you know, living in Spain in a high rise apartment building. And, you know, it was it was very different than my experience in Costa Rica, living down the road from a volcano, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, in and just the culture of everything being under construction, like that's like the running joke always of Europe is things are always under construction and having gotten to experience <laughs> that every day. I'm like, oh, yep, they're, they're working on that today. And, you know, walking 20 minutes to class, 20 minutes back, having my bocadillo, like my sandwich my senora would make for me because I couldn't walk to class and back in the lunch break. It just wasn't, oh. you know, it was a school for American students or international students that I was attending. And there wasn't enough time for me to do the 40 minutes walk with that break and because I was taking kind of different classes you know master's level classes and higher classes as an undergrad my schedule was much different than most of my the other students at the school mm-hmm. and so my classes would start at like 11 and go until like eight o'clock at night so it was very different kind of, <laughs> kind yeah. of school schedule um you know than than most people but uh it you know that that was an incredible experience too just seeing where you know all that culture or originated and seeing the roman influence and the you know like the moroccan influence was such a beautiful thing you know I, and i think a lot of people don't realize how much arabic and you know how much is similar in span you know i think we have what is it 7000 words in spanish from arabic and sometimes mm-hmm. even in spain they deny that history they deny that culture and so that's something else I like to share with my students is listen to, listen to Hebrew, listen to Arabic, listen to Spanish, listen to, and just f- see how much we truly have in common. And I think there's something really beautiful in that. And that's something else I always really like to, to share with my students is how more, how much more similar we are than, you know, everyone thinks. So, 
Yeah. Wow. That we've had actually very similar experiences because I had the Guatemala and then Spain experience as well. And then I actually took a class called Islamic Iberia, where I learned exactly that, where we learned about the Islamic influences and the history of Islam in Spain. So interesting. Where did you study? Um, so I went to the university, I went to Segri. And okay. I don't remember what it stands for anymore. It was like Centro Académico something. I don't know. It was in Granada. So that's probably what the G was for. But I, I really, I don't remember. But it was uh, a campus for essentially Big Ten schools for their students to go and to study. So I went to school with other students from different universities, which was really cool, really good experience. But then when with where I lived, we were only allowed to live one American student per household so that you were living in, you know, an experience with just, you know, with, with Spanish speakers and not that ease of, you can just speak English. No, when you leave the university and you go home or go wherever you're speaking Spanish. Um, and so my senora, we lived in one apartment building and across the street is where her mom lived and her mom actually rented three different apartments. So that all on the same floor and the floors are much smaller there, but so all on the same floor was, you know, just her, her flats or her apartments. And so she had in one of them, we would all eat together. And so we would eat with her. She had an ex a student from the University of Nebraska, another student from U of I, um, a student from Italy, a student from Brazil, and a student from Russia. And so the student from Russia lived with her. And he was at the university at Ma master's getting his doctorate in like uh, Cyrillics and like Russian and language. And so it was the coolest just combination of people to learn about the world. And those are some of my favorite conversations was sitting there at the dinner table with an Italian, a Brazilian, a Russian, and then us Americans. And the conversations were just, well, obviously Spanish I and mean, Spaniards, <laughs> you know, were, were incredible. And that's really when I realized how similar languages were that the Italian spoke Italian and Portuguese and Spanish, the Brazilian, like we would learn to connect through our languages. And I realized sitting there and we actually rented a car and went to Portugal together. So it was such a, an awesome experience. Something I love about Europe is you can just up and travel so easily, um, you know, which was awesome. I think I went to six countries while I was there. It's just so easy, you know, to wow. travel, which I loved. Um, but how much we had in common that I could speak Spanish and, you know, the Brazilian could understand the Spanish and then the Italian, I could understand Italian and then she could help translate into, you know, into Portuguese. And so it was, you know, and there's a lot in common with Russian as well with Spanish. And so it, it was, it blew my mind that I could sit there and we would sit there sometimes just for hours, you know, hours, there was no rush to do anything. That's not the culture. It's, mm -hmm. we sit and we enjoy each other and enjoy our food and we take time. And the first meal I had, we sat there for five hours and talked for five hours. And my American brain was going, this is crazy. I have things to do. I have places. <laughs> oh, I want to explore, like set me free. Cause I think that that's kind of just the American way of, uh, I, I, I need to hurry up to do what you know it's that that yeah. hurry 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 that that was probably the biggest struggle for me is that I learned mm. to eat slower and it is one of my <laughs> husband's biggest frustrations with me is how slowly I eat because that was the only way that I could sit and I could engage for that long because for me I am so go 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 as you know I mean I always I'm like okay what's the next thing on my list what's the next <laughs> thing on my list and it was very much a struggle for me to sit and just shut that down and so I learned to eat very slowly and I could never turn that off oh <laughs> and so at school gosh for, for our lunch periods I'm like I need the whole lunch period just to eat because it's it just I like to enjoy my food and I, I mean I grade I work through my lunch periods but that that's the most challenging thing about being a, a teacher for me is trying to fit eating in my day with everything else I do. <laughs> so yes, an interesting fact. So whenever students yeah. are like, I want to meet for help. I'm like, okay, I just, I need my lunch period, but we can make it. Work. Yeah. Otherwise, senora would not eat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we change topics, what was your favorite food from Spain? Oh, that is, that is a challenging question. I will tell you this before I lived there, I did not eat ham. I did not okay. eat ham. And so it was just a dietary thing. My family just didn't prepare it um, from a family of dairy farmers. So we just had a lot of beef oh. and chicken and those kinds of things, but not, not a lot of ham. And that was everywhere. So that was, as you know, so that was 
that was a big change for me. And so uh, I tended to eat more vegetarian. So I, which that was an unknown concept to my host family. They're like, what's vegetarian? <laughs> so my, one of the girls staying with them also was vegetarian and she, they served her an egg with French fries and ketchup. That was usually what they'd make her because they just had no idea what to make or a lot of lentils. So I, I'm okay. still not, I'm still not at a point in my life where I want to eat lentils because I'm lenteled out still. <laughs> um, but so I would have to say probably just like the tortilla española, you know, like that, the Spanish omelet. And that's a fun mm-hmm. fact I just shared with my students. I'm like, this is what you get if you order a tortilla in Spain. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, Latin American food and Spanish food are not the same. So <laughs> for me, I love Mediterranean food. I love um, you know, olives and tomatoes and being married to, you know, an Italian that worked out really well. (laughs) So probably just more the, you know, the olive oil and the, and the freshness of the food. I loved it. The tapas and the small portions being a slow eater. I really love the small portions and you (laughs) eat and snack. And I, I feel like for me, that's a very natural way to eat. So I love it. That's awesome. That's so great. I love that story. That was incredible. And it's fun to hear the different perspectives from people who studied abroad, because I think we all have so many similar stories, but they're so different in so many fun ways. And I think that's that, you know, that's the incentive to encourage other people to do it. As you know, when you were a guest speaker for my students, how many of them went hearing it from your perspective, you just kind of turn on, you know, kind of opened a a possible door or inspired someone else. And so that that's the goal in all of it is to just go, I want to have my own stories, you know, so yeah. Well, let's talk about that because I want to talk more about your teaching. You had a huge impact on me as a student. I mean, I'm a Spanish major now, which is crazy, (laughs) but what, what are your goals when you're teaching students a new language and they have that embarrassment? They're so new to it in high school. Honestly, for me, it's to try to introduce a possibility for something they never thought possible. You know, some students come into taking a language because they, their parents said they had to, or they're Mm -hmm. trying to just get elective credits or different things. So I'm really grateful our our school doesn't have a graduation requirement to take language, that it is a choice. While it might not be a choice for all students, if someone in their family is saying you have to take it, but um, there's more of that, uh, you know, choice to to engage in it, you know, and, and make that decision for yourself. And while not everyone may, you know, leave my class fluent or, you know, or, or feeling like they can use it for the rest of their lives, I figure with the time I have them, I really just want them to experience that, that, that possibility of, okay, I could use my Spanish for this. I, I could have this conversation at work. Uh, that's an exciting piece now is when I was growing up, I wasn't surrounded by a lot of people that spoke Spanish, unfortunately, until probably junior high. Um, and the fact that my students can go to work, a lot of them are getting jobs now, which is exciting and, and they're using it and they're, they're hearing, they're, they're going, oh, I, one of my students, he just, just started a new job in a restaurant. And he said, I had no idea how much I needed to review what we're reviewing right now until I'm at work and going, oh my gosh, I need to work on this. And he said, you know, the timing was just perfect. Cause he went, oh, I, I am really rusty on this. And, you know, so it's, it's hearing my students students' stories and hearing how they're using it. And it's not just the, oh, I'm going on vacation here, I'm going to use it. It's in my daily interactions, I'm seeing a use, I'm seeing a need, and I'm trying, you know, those, those are my, my favorite moments is the, I'm trying with a native speaker or with my friend or, you know, or watching a show or, hey, I just watched this movie in Spanish and I understood it. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's those moments where I'm going, oh my gosh, they're using it outside of class. You know, that, that for me is the goal. The goal for me is not have a conversation with your teacher who has been teaching Spanish for 13 years. That's not the goal. The goal is how do I get you to believe in yourself that you're willing to put that fear aside or at least put it in the box for a little while to just try it, you know, and to, to not be, to not be scared. And so I, you know, as you know, I, I have us talk every single day in class, there's conversation, even in remote times we are still engaging in conversation every day and constantly working on what's a new word you can use, what's a new phrase you can use so that we're not sedentary with it to show language is evolving, language is changing and using new words that are created, you know, just to, to share the, the reality of it. It's not something that's, 
you know, archaic or something that we're using a, a book for where it's evolving and how do I access information that's out there, social media, you know, infographics, whatever, how do we take that and just get comfortable trying to decode it? How do I, how do I have those skills and just showing my students that they, they can do it and empowering them just to try, you know, getting over that fear is really my big goal so that they can just, you know, push down those barriers and, and use it. That's, that's my goal always. Incredible. Wow. Oh, and one other piece is just the, the perspective, right. Connecting Mm -hmm. with other people. I think that's a big thing. Um, That's also really important to me is again, just to show how, how much we have in common and how that fear of the unknown. Well, if we make, if we learn about it, it's not unknown anymore. And hopefully that will bridge connections within cultures, within people. And I, you know, I just hope as we are more global in the future, that my students will be more willing to get to know someone from a different background than their own or learn about their own background as well for my heritage speakers. Wow. I actually have a question connected to that because your teaching style is very culture oriented and like every day you play, you'd played Selena, you'd have so many fun dances, you'd bring in food. I know you have like, you have celiacs, but you'd bring in like food for, um, you'd bring in bread for us and you'd be like, I can't eat it, but here you go. Like this is tradition. (laughs) Like you have such a strong passion for showing students the culture side of everything. Even though you have a strict curriculum you have to follow, you still try to blend in your passion and your love for the language, which is incredible. But I actually am curious to see how how this has changed since I was in school, because now there's so many emerging Latin, Latin artists, there's so many new TV shows and things that students may be interested in. Well, as far as food, obviously this year we're not doing that, but yes, <laughs> with celiacs, I mean, there's a lot of things that there, there is a special bread for, you know, I'd always wear my gloves and I'd have my, you know, special stuff. So I wasn't touching anything, which, Hey, that's just good anyway for germs. Right. But um, <laughs> yeah, for, I brought in the Rosca de Reyes for three Kings day. We would leave our shoes in the hall for the three Kings to come, you know, and anything just to actually practice the, you know, the culture and, and to, to try that. So I love it. Um, with this year with, you know, online learning, I, um, I started last year participating in the Locura de de Marzo. So shout out to Senor Ashby. It's awesome. And it's fun. And I have my students vote for which song they like. So they have to Mm -hmm. listen and decide and choose. And then it goes down today's day was the, okay, it's the final two. Who are you voting for? And I've been tabulating their points and whoever got the most correct that were voted for internationally are going to win a prize that I'm going to send them. So I'm very excited about that. Um, And then every Thursday for my half of the day and my Friday, we do a dance. So we do Baile Jueves and Baile Viernes, depending on which day you have me. (laughs) And we do a dance. That's our kind of our brain break for the day is we get up and one of the songs that is up for the, you know, next round of the competition, we dance to it. And obviously with being home, students can, you know, I tell them all mute their cameras. So everyone's comfortable. And, you know, I don't know if they're dancing or not. Uh, but uh, it's just a fun way to bring in the culture. As you know, we, we always, I always would bring in my, my good friend, you know, and, um, and a coworker who would teach salsa and we would do that together just, you know, to, again, it's break down that fear and that anxiety of dancing, which, you know, Americans are not known for, for dancing well. And I think it's really a lost art form. My grandparents, they, uh, they, they would square dance. And that, that was, I mean, oh my gosh, we have boxes and boxes of my grandma's beautiful costumes and, you know, dresses. And that was really important to our family was dance. And uh, my family's heritage were mainly Norwegian and German. And so more of the polkas and waltzes and that kind of thing. But it's such a lost art form that I thought I want to bring some of that back. You know, I want, I want people, and I, and I love to feature people and my students probably don't know I do this, but I like to feature people of all different backgrounds dancing to show mm. everyone dances, you know, mm. everyone around the world dances. And yes, there are dances to songs in Spanish, but I, one day I had a, a guy who is Italian who was doing the dance. And so all the information's in Italian, but they were dancing mm. to a Spanish song to just realize like Spanish is everywhere. Language is everywhere. It's not yeah. just in these countries. Um, and then last week's video, I featured a, a couple from uh, Thailand. So like them dancing to Spanish to show like they're, people dance to this and listen to this music all over the world. Look at how many people you can connect with. And, you know, and even if you don't speak the same language, everyone can be connected through dance, you know, so just kind of a, an interesting, you know, (laughs) connection. (laughs) 
Yeah, I always enjoyed that. I, I'm really curious, what is the song that's winning? Well, right now it is down to Al Aire um, and then uh, Vuela, which is very exciting for me because um, Vuela is by a, a Macaco and Coors and they're Nigerian and from Spain. And it's, uh, but the, the main guy is from, um, is from Nigeria. And so it's awesome for them to get exposure to just people from all over the world speaking Spanish. You know, I think we think traditionally, we, we did a unit, I had us do a unit this year on Afro-Latinx, you know, and that experience yeah. and that culture that's right around when you were a guest speaker and mm -hmm. them learning about that experience and what the Spanish speaking identity traditionally looks like and what it traditionally is and how, you know, a lot of people feel that it's been more whitewashed or more lighter skinned people are featured and other people that have darker skin aren't necessarily the mainstream or what is focused on is what being Latino or Latinx or, you know, whatever term you prefer, um, you know, that that's not the one that's common, commonly shown. And so I love to feature that in my class and to break down those stereotypes to show everyone speaks Spanish. You know, everyone, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter your skin color, your, where you're from, you know, anyone can speak a language, anyone has access to it. So, um, you know, I like to, I like to highlight that. And so I'm really excited that, that, that is one of the the finalists. The other one is the more traditional. Um, the other band is from Colombia, which most people know it's Colombian music is like the epicenter of Spanish music, or maybe that, that isn't as commonly known, but most, most bands or artists are, are, are Colombian. That's, that's a, you know, just where a lot of music and Spanish comes from. So it was mm -hmm. exciting to have, you know, someone from a different non, not, I don't want to say traditional, but not known for production of Spanish music be in the final too. So that's really exciting for me. That is really cool. And I like that you're bringing in the social justice aspect of it. This is something I'm really passionate about as well. And when I came to speak to your class, that was one of the main points of your chapter or your unit that you were focusing on. Can you talk a little bit more about your passion for social justice, community involvement in, in the lens of being a, an educator? Sure, absolutely. So that's something that has always been important to me. A couple of years ago, we started a unit on volunteering, you know, and simply on volunteering. And we had a, a newer textbook. This is before we decided to ditch the textbook, but that was one of the units. And you ditched the textbook? Oh, yeah. We've been textbook free for a few years now. <laughs> oh, there's, my gosh. There's too much going on in the world. Why Why have a textbook limit? Would I, and no, no, you know, no, whatever to the textbook companies, I'm not trying to belittle the work you do because that was the start of my career. And that was very important for me foundationally as teaching. But now that I've, you know, it's my 13th year teaching, there's so much I want to do and cover that I want to, I want to, you know, find the resources that I want to use. And I use a lot of authentic real world things. And a lot of textbooks now are doing that themselves where they're, you know, using real world examples. It's not recordings from people that it's, you know, it's like a computerized voice. It's, you know, I use interviews or I use, um, just different real life sources that a native speaker would find online. So it's not something built for non-native speakers. I said, here, here's what is happening in the world. What can you figure out at your level where you are? So even level one, we're using native speaking everything um, to let them access it. That used to be, you know, a big complaint for students or now with parents of my students who say, oh, back when I learned Spanish and it's always the, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't bridge that gap to the pace of a normal speaker because it was always so slow when we learned it. Well, we've completely cr crushed that because <laughs> now it's okay. You're listening, but you're listening just for this or just listen and tell me what you can figure out because everyone has a different, you know, experience with the words that they know and, you know, their own background from languages. Some of my students speak three languages. So they're going to figure out different words if it's similar in their other languages than someone who has, you know, different backgrounds. So it's much more open-ended to just, again, access it, try it, decode it, use your skills, figure it out. What can you do with it? And it doesn't matter if you can figure out this one word, work around that, you know, and it's trying not to get stuck or, or shut down. Um, on that kind of a thing. So yeah, I forget what the original question was now. That I went I know. <laughs> Sorry, I was just floored. I think that's yeah, incredible. Fine. I think that's amazing that you're doing that. And I, I see a lot of that in just the work I've done around the US that, I mean, there's so much more freedom. And I think that's so incredible that you're doing that. Yes. Oh, social justice. Thank you. <laughs> freedom, justice. There it is. Thank you. 
<laughs> brought me back. Um, but yes, yeah, so we, we were doing the, this new unit on volunteering. And I, I remember it was the summer, I think it was June. And I'm starting to think, okay, we got a new textbook. We've got this volunteer unit. What am I going to do with this? And I went, I took a total leap of faith. I reached out to the other level three teachers in the summer, which, you know, we, we, sometimes we need a little bit of a mental break in the summer, but I had this idea and I just had to share it. And I said, what if we actually had them volunteer? And uh, I said, I don't know what this looks like, but what if? And they said, yeah, OK. And I'm like, oh, well, OK, now I'm figuring this out. And so I remember the first year we did it, I asked my students, do you have connections? Do you have places that need help that, you know, that we can be under 18, you know, that it would be OK and coordinating parents being OK with that and the school being behind that and we, I mean, it was incredible to learn, hey, right down the road at our dual language school, they have an after school program that needs lots of help that also needs donations to give to the families. And so we that was one of the biggest programs that we supported the most pre COVID was, you know, the volunteering, we would go every Monday that they had the after school program. And it was with little kids and my students generally don't have a lot of interactions with students that speak Spanish that are children. And over and over, they said that was their favorite opportunity because I would let them volunteer more than one place as long as there was a need and there were open time slots. I'm like, grab a second one. I don't, you know, whatever you want to do. And so many times they said they loved that because they said the kids would make fun of their Spanish. They would correct them. They would tease them and that they like got less scared because the kids were just telling them like it is. And uh, they, they said they learned a lot from that. And that really kind of pushed the fear aside of like, they're laughing about it and we're having fun and I'm learning, or I'm, you know, I'm playing games yeah. with them or I'm helping them with math, you know, and that was really empowering for my students to see again, that breakdown of that fear where these kids are like, I don't care if you speak Spanish well or not, I'm going to help you with it, you know, and it was such a, a freeing experience for them to just use it and to kind of get over that anxiety. So mm -hmm. yeah, that so that that's a piece that was really important for me. Another opportunity that we had was with the organization Mano a Mano, and they're doing incredible work. They switched their schedule though, and so we weren't able to volunteer there anymore because it was during our school day. Mm -hmm. But there were four um, four adults. So there, the, the students were older that were applying to be a citizen, that they were applying for their citizenship. And so we were helping them prepare for the citizenship test. So imagine, you know, just being a high schooler and trying to help prepare an adult to take a citizenship test. And I don't know if you know our knowledge of our own governmental everything, but not everyone in our own country is very knowledgeable. I'm not. <laughs> and so that was probably the most challenging thing was trying to help teach our own students that information to be able to help, you know, so we would have practice tests and practice whatever in English and Spanish, just because as a language, I mean, that that's a tremendous undertaking. But while we were volunteering with them, four of the people we were helping passed their citizenship test, and they wrote us wow. thank you notes, you know, and I shared that with the students, but just how empowering to, as a high schooler, help someone else with that and with another language, you know? So just, it really opened the doors, I think, for some really cool experiences that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So I just, yes. Yeah. So obviously that that was a very exciting um, for me to help pioneer that and just support that program and that growth. And yeah, we did that. I think it was three years we, we did that where we were volunteering. Um, we went to, we helped with the Libertyville Food Pantry and um and and with russian and spanish for our students who speak russian as well that was really helpful so it was very eye-opening a lot of students in their reflection essays you know said over and over i had no idea this need was in my own community and i think that was very a worthwhile experience for them and you know i mean that partners with my involvement with migrant education you know i um that was just a that that was just logical for me of well I know that there's need and I know that there are people that would benefit from this little bit of knowledge I have or you know resources I have and being able to open that door and show that to my students I think was really important for me to share that work with them and so we developed a unit that was you know about all about that about citizenship about border culture about what that's like and what that experience is like. Well, I've never gone through it myself. Just kind of, again, sharing information so people have a new perspective on what, what's going on, you know, in the world. And um, and that's one of the fav my favorite units we do because then I get to bring in migrant education and we watch a movie that features 
you know, just some people that are working in, um, in migrant labor and showing that side of things and the pesticides they're working with. And a lot of times they have to stop their education to, to work and to support their families. And, and, you know, just kind of sharing with my students that that actually originated with the, you know, with the emancipation, with, with ending slavery, that migrant work has actually became the form of, of slavery where people would, that was what their sentence was, was to serve and pick crops on farms because it's backbreaking work and people don't want to do it, you know? And so I think that it's just eye-opening for them to go, oh, like my food from Mariano's, like that was picked by someone who's working 12 hours a day in the hot sun that, you know, and I have to say farmers are, are doing their best to support their workers and to give them what they need. And it's come a long way. And um, my own family farm, we also have, you know, workers there trying to help. And so since I help write the curriculum for migrant education on the national, for the national consortium, um, that was one of the lessons we chose to make was I simply said to my uncle, what, what words do you guys need to be able to communicate and work together since I'm not available all the time to help translate over the phone, you know, and, mm -hmm. and he gave me a, you know, a lengthy list. And so we wow. developed it that week and um, so that they could start communicating. And so that's, that's kind of something we're working on right now in migrant education is how do we connect um, our populations, our communities, so that they can communicate with one another and work together to just, to just help one another. Cause the, the farmers so appreciate the help and they, they want to support their, their employees and be able to help meet their needs. Um, and it's really been a beautiful thing to, to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't know you were from dairy farmers. So that's an interesting connection you have that you can use to help people even more. I mean, you're making a huge impact on the lives of what age group are they? The students? So, well, so the program serves, we have students that are, you know, pre-K that we kind of help with some skills uh, for language and, and helping prepare them for school. And, mm -hmm. but the students that I specifically, well, I, I specifically in my role over help oversee and coach teachers that work with middle schoolers through mm -hmm. out of school youth. So once they age out at 22. And so in that time frame, we can help just prepare them for GED or for a learning English. A lot of our students just want to, you know, learn English and get better at English so that they can use it for their jobs and to communicate and assimilate, you know, to our, to the English speaking culture. That's incredible. Yeah. That's but I, yeah. Really the students that are most impacted are truly the high schoolers though, because trying to connect their curriculum when they're moving to, you know, one, two, maybe even three schools a school year, um, it's very tricky. And so trying to help them complete their coursework so that they can get promoted. A lot of them are live in Texas. And so mm -hmm. the Texas curriculum is quite rigorous and they have a test that they have to pass to be promoted to the next level. And so if they miss that test, they can get held back an entire school year. So we've been working a lot with them and their schools and their, um, you know, to make sure our students are taking those, taking that test and preparing them to pass it so that they can continue and, and successfully complete and hopefully move on and hopefully move on to college is the goal. Wow. That fantastic work you're doing. I mean, that, that is really incredible. I actually am really curious about a point you mentioned because you seem to have a soft spot for high school students, especially in your work with migrant education, but also at our high school. Why did you pick this age demographic? I don't know that I have a very eloquent answer for that, but for me, it's probably my sense of humor. I, I, uh, I have worked with lots of different age groups. I helped out when I was a senior in high school, I was able to help out my, our school had a really awesome program that was led by one of my neighbors. So someone we were very close family friends with, and, you know, she's like, I think you'd be an excellent candidate for this program. And I had enough room in my schedule my senior year, because I'd completed most of my credits that I was able to go and volunteer at the, our local elementary school, which I went there. So that was really special for me. And I got to help out in a, a second grade bilingual classroom. And so I got to work with that age group and I really enjoyed it. And then I would go to the high school was, so my first class of the day was going to the elementary school and helping in the bilingual room. And then for fourth hour, wow, it's crazy, I still remember that. Um, <laughs> I, I would help out in the Spanish two classroom. And I, I, while I loved working with the students that Spanish was their, you know, native language, 
I realized how much more the high schoolers needed me to bridge that gap to serve, you know, to, to help, you know, to just be in the same community and be, and yet there's so far, you know, to so far away. I thought that, I feel like that's where I was really called to do something was I went, there's just such, I feel like there was just such little knowledge and such a way to connect across those kind of cultural barriers that I thought that's, that's what I want to do. I want to work on the other side since I work in migrant education and I, you know, I, I work with the community. I feel like that's, that's the bridge that really needs to be, to really be gapped um, or, you know, to be connected, I should say. And um, like to just overcome that. And I, and I, it was also just my sarcasm. I'm like, oh man, these little <laughs> kids do not, they didn't understand wrote in cursive and when I grew up you wrote in cursive and uh so I would like write them little notes in Spanish and their teachers say they can't read this and I'm like oh my goodness so that was a challenge although high schoolers now sometimes struggle with reading cursive too so I don't know that that matters anymore but um although I heard they brought that back in the curriculum and then um the other piece was yeah just my sense of humor it's I want to share my my experiences and my travels in the world and that's something that you know a younger brain doesn't can't quite grasp that they're still too in that, you know, it's about me and I'm, the, you know, the center that, I mean, high schoolers are too, yeah. that's, you know, and that's, that's part of their development. So that's the only other part of our lives that our brains are developing as rapidly as when we're toddlers. And so for me, I, I want to be part of that, that growth. I want to be part of that experience and kind of catch them before they're adults and these ideas get ingrained in their brains. It's like, I want to be part of that last experience before they set out on the world. And maybe in some way I can impact that and, you know, think about traveling, think about other people and kind of connect some of those or bridge some of those gaps in our own community and in the world. So if I can help inspire that, I feel that I'm doing something. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I'm honestly speechless. That's so cool that you get to do that and you have the opportunity because I never thought of it like that in the brain development aspect, but that's really interesting that you're kind of there on the forefront, helping, helping students open their minds to different cultures at a time that they're, they so need it. That's so great. Right. Right. And just thinking, you know, beyond themselves. I think, I think it's so easy to get stuck in our own and worrying about everything going on in our lives that we can't control. But if you can start to think without, like without, with, you know, with, or outside of that and, and not just within that bubble, but it kind of, you know, if you can see that bigger picture, I think it makes us feel less isolated or alone in whatever we're, we're going through. Mm -hmm. Love it. Okay. I have two more questions. I'm running a little short on time. <laughs> That's okay. My, That's okay. My first question um, relates to you because you do so many incredible things. I mean, you're a mom, a teacher, you do so much work with the migrant education work. You're so involved. You're, I think you're a dance teacher too, which you I was talk for about. 10 years. I was for 10 years, but I'll, I'll give you a little mom, mom, whatever tidbit to add in is, you know, I'm involved with lots of things. And my yeah. daughter, it started to to cry when I would come home because she would say, it's dark out, we can't go to the park, you know, or and and so I felt that something had to shift that in everything I do, I'm like, I need more time to be, you know, present with my own children. And with our dance program, it would go, I wouldn't get home until 715. And then my kids, we, we start bedtime around 745, eight, and it just wasn't enough time in the day for me to give to my own family. Um, wow. So that was, that was the shift. I said, okay, I need to stop before she goes to kindergarten. And I wanted to be there to help get her off the bus. And, you know, I knew I wouldn't be able to do that if I continued. And that, yeah, I had served our dance program for 10 years. And so, um, I said, you know what, I'm like, there's, there was someone who had been hired in our school who we were, she was helping. And I went, I feel like there are good hands to kind of pass the torch to and knew that they would do well, if not better with her than me yeah. with everything else I had going on. And that was a really a great time. And it, it was meant to be that transition, but uh, I still try yeah. to bring dance in whenever I can. And um yeah, now I dance with my kids and I help teach my my daughter ballet and and dance. She's doing that virtually. We, you know, we we don't leave the house right now because of my son's breathing issues. So we're just trying to be as safe as possible. But that's really been a, an awesome way for her to connect with other kids is to to continue dance virtually and um, and still grow. And so that's been a really important 
aspect and just dance parties, random dance parties. Every <laughs> Friday in our house is Fiesta Friday, Fiesta Friday and and we always dance and uh, it, we just make it fun to just celebrate that we get more time with each other on the weekend. So something I, I keep in keep in our daily or our weekly routine, I should say. <laughs> wow, actually, because my question originally was how do you balance it all? But I think your story with how you decided to put your family first really is more powerful than even just the balancing aspect. And I, I'm really appreciate it, appreciative that you shared that and that, because that's something I struggle with too, is finding time for the people I love for my friends because of everything I do. So that was really, I think that's incredible that you made that difficult decision. Well, and I, th- I think it's, you know, it's hard. And my husband would say, I still struggle with that. And I do because I love, I love all the three things I do, you know, on a, I mean, I, I'm doing three jobs on a daily basis. And I think yeah. that, you know, it's, it's something that there, you, you can't balance everything well all at once, you know, so things have to, you kind of have to say, okay, I can focus on this now, but I will get to this. And then when I get to this, it's okay that I'm not focusing on this as much. There has, there, there has to be a balance. Otherwise we will burn out and we won't help anyone or ourselves, you know, so there has to be that time. And so there comes, you know, days in the week where I just go tonight, I just need to go to bed half an hour early and I'm not gonna, I have to, this all has to pause because Mm -hmm. life will go on even if we don't spend that one half hour doing whatever we need to and I find if I take that time for me or to play a game with my kids or to whatever that I'm always grateful that I did it and so that's something that I have to a lot of a lot of it I think is just that guilt in us that we want to do so much but there's only so much time and you know, you, you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror every day and say, okay, here's a new day. I'm proud of this day. What am I going to do with it? And let go of whatever it is that's nagging at you. Um, and a, a tip that someone recently gave me was to imagine breathing out guilt as a bubble. And you can even make it a color. This might be a good thing for yoga because I also do yoga and yoga breathing. <laughs> and so, but breathing out guilt in a, in a color, imagining a color to it and popping it. And that has been very Ooh. empowering when I feel that guilt start to rise of, okay, I need to breathe this out and let it go because it's not serving me. And, um, and that, that really helps me just in the day-to-day of how do I do this all and do it well? Well, and the honest answer is I don't do it all well every day and it's not possible to, and I've kind of let go of that expectation. So that helps. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. That's an incredible piece of advice. <laughs> That's amazing. We actually have very similar stories. Like we're both crazy busy. I, I really loved learning more about your story. And I do have one final question. Okay. And I, I changed it up a little bit because oh, you heard oh. you heard my original question when I spoke to your international club. I know. So I was prepared for that <laughs> one. <laughs> I, I, I mixed it up a little bit. So if you could go to a Latin American, Spanish, any Spanish speaking country, which country would you not go? Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. You know that my bucket list is to go to all of them. So that's, uh, that's, that doesn't work with my, with my philosophy. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know that I could pick just one to not go to. They all have different things that inspire me. I mean, probably the one that everyone would say would be Africa, Equatorial Guinea, but I hope that one day in my life I can make it there to Africa because I think of all the places to go, that would be just the most incredible to see what that looks like and sounds like with the influence of the other indigenous languages, you know? So I don't know that I could pick one because I've been to a few so far and everyone I've gone to has made me want to go to another one even more. So I don't know that I could pick one. I want to go to them all. <laughs> what are you going to next after COVID? Well, so unfortunately, my trip to Guatemala, um, as you know, got got we had to, it had to be canceled because of the situation. And Guatemala actually has a very strict policy with what they're doing right now. And so they wouldn't have let us come in, even if we had said that we were still going. So they, yeah. they locked down very Um, securely and quickly. And I was rather impressed with how their country handled everything. Um, But my, my goal is to go back and continue that same trip that we already had booked. We had fundraised $1,500 for the local school and we have all kinds of donations for supplies to help the, the, local community. It's a very rural community. It doesn't even have an address. Mm-hmm. It's on a mountain and that's where the school is. And wow. uh, I, I mean, I am so excited to get back there uh, once they allow us and once we can. And um, 
So that's really my dream is to go there. Guatemala has been on my list for a very long time. I've taught Guatemalan culture for a very long time. Um, our realtor actually is Guatemalan. And so she and Ooh. I talk in Spanish all the time. And I just, you know, I love, I love learning about Guatemalan culture. So that that's definitely the next, the next one on my list as I'm, I am making it back, making it back. If you and need a chaperone, I, let me know. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of people volunteer to, to want to come on my trips. You know, when we went to Peru, I was fortunately able to take five, five adults because we had 26 kids go, um, you know, but with this, with this kind of, it's a volunteer, as they say, I don't know if I want to use that term because I think it has a negative connotation, but we would be volunteering while we're there. So yes, mm -hmm. we would be exploring the culture, but also volunteering. And so that takes a very unique and incredible high school schooler um, to to want to go on a trip like that and make that positive change but I'm really excited that there are students that they want to do that and they want to be that bridge in the world so I kind of feel like that's my I can kind of check that off my bucket list you know of bringing students abroad with me and them seeing that in them already at this age is really exciting incredible I'm so excited and once COVID calms down I hope you will be able to go because that sounds like an incredible trip so thank you so much. I just want to say thank you so much for being on my show. I have so many fond memories of class with you and you've really shaped my Spanish and my passion for Spanish. So thank you so much for everything you do. Well, thank you for, for inviting me and for having me and for giving me the positive feedback that, uh, you know, that I was able to influence you in a positive way. Cause at the end of the day, that's, that's all I want to do. It's incredible. Even though I was an awkward college or high school student, I didn't love high school. You had a, a huge impression on me and I can't say that enough. And my, my friends still talk about your class. I mean, it's incredible. Well, so. thank you so much. I think that's much needed right now with uh, spring break upon us and starting in two hours officially for our school. Ooh. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. That was my interview with Senora Bastiani. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. She has so much to bring and she has been an amazing teacher for me and many students at Vernon Hills. She had so much to offer and I'm really glad she stopped using textbooks because she has so much to bring with her own curriculum. She is really a joy to have and I'm so glad I have gone through her class. If you're new to going places, I encourage you to check out my other episodes. I've interviewed so many amazing people and you really will find something that you enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please feel free to reach out to me on all social media platforms. I'm around and I love to hear what you think of going places. Thanks for tuning in and I can't wait to see where you go. Bye.